Today's sponsor is Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. We'd also like to thank Qualcomm for making today's show possible. First, they connected the phone to the internet. Now they're connecting the internet to everything else. Qualcomm, they're the restless inventors bringing the future forward faster. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the final boss of the video game that Elon Musk says we're living in, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can subscribe to Recode Decode at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode, and while you're there, leave us a review. Today in the red chair is Stacy Brown Philpot, the CEO of TaskRabbit, who I've known for a really long time. She's a former Google exec and the founder of the Black Googler Network. She joined TaskRabbit in January of 2013 as its chief operating officer and was named CEO in April of this year. She's also on the board of HP. Stacy, welcome to the show. Thank you. And what part of HP are you on the board member of? There's so many parts of HP now. There's so. two parts. Yeah. I'm on the HP Inc. board, uh-huh. which is the business that sells printers and PCs. Yes. Okay. So we'll talk about that and a lot of other things. Um, but let's talk about you first. You're, you've been a longtime executive and entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. Let's talk about your history and how you got to where you've gotten to TaskRabbit. Yeah, so I came to Silicon Valley 16 years ago mm-hmm. uh, to go to business school at Stanford. Right. And before that, I, I grew up in the city of Detroit mm-hmm. and didn't know anything about technology. So no one in my family was an engineer. Right. I ended up going to work at Goldman Sachs in investment banking mm-hmm. in 1999 uh-huh. and worked on some tech deals. Yeah. And I got real curious about all these. So you were a finance person, I like an accountant, essentially. You know, like I actually a- studied accounting right. in college. Right. So I'm a CPA. So by you had gone to Stanford Business School or Stanford for undergrad? I went to Penn undergrad, Penn undergrad. Stanford for business school. Mm-hmm. Both business schools, really, biz- for oriented towards it. So you had not thought about tech. You were just going to be an investment banker. I was probably going to be an investment banker for mm-hmm. my whole life. Yeah. So where, how, what knocked you off that? Just these deals? I worked on some tech deals at Goldman Sachs. But I got excited about just how these companies were creating all this value mm-hmm. and going public. Right. So this a, was in the in top the of the boom. This was the top of the boom. When yeah, you were 1999. Doing this. Yeah, yeah. The very top. So was that what attracted you to them? The boominess or the what? Or just the... The curiosity about the value creation that was happening mm-hmm. with companies that had very little money. Mm-hmm. I was an M&A. So I also worked on some non-tech deals. Right. These were like big businesses with real revenues and Mm -hmm. real profits. And Mm -hmm. we were selling those companies and here are these tech companies. So I wonder, you know, what is it about these businesses that is creating the same value as a long-standing profitable company? Sure. And what was your conclusion? Didn't know. So I came to Silicon Valley to find out. So you came to business school. I came to business school. And how was your experience there? A lot of people go to the Stanford Business School and then run right out into Silicon Valley companies. Is that the plan? It was the best two years that I spent. Undergrad for me in college was really about, you know, how do I become a professional? But business school for me was how do I become like the person that I'm meant to be? And that Mm -hmm. sounds really cheesy. And I know people from Stanford might say that, but it really was about that. I thought I'd go back into finance. I'd learn about technology and I'd go back into finance. And then I discovered this little company called Google Mm -hmm. and decided that this might be a 
it's a more how fun did you get there? What did you work. were at Stanford? This is this was right around when well you'd been there in the early two thousands. It was early. Yeah, uh, one of my classmates was at went to Google right after we graduated, mm-hmm. and I said, "What are you doing?" I didn't have a job yet, mm-hmm. and he said, "Oh, well, I'm at Google, and you should come and interview." And mm-hmm. there's a bunch of great people. We're building this cool company, and I think you would have fun. And so I decided to what, go. What interview. attracted you to it? To the company or yeah. to? I started covering it in ninety eight or ninety nine or something. Um, like you know, it was some of the smartest people that I had met. I was 13 people that I interviewed with mm-hmm. on my interview day, wow. one day of interviews. Wow. Uh, some of these people have gone on to be very mm-hmm. successful in their own right. right. And I just felt like I walked out of there with these are some of the smartest people. I don't know if this company is going to be successful, but I think I'd have fun working mm-hmm. here with right. these people. Right. So what did you do when you get the job offer? You did... So I got the job as a financial analyst, mm-hmm. and little me is a financial analyst, and I'm thinking, like, here I have a Stanford MBA, yeah. and here I'm going to go be this financial analyst. Right. Is that really it? Right. Um, but I later learned that this was probably one of the best career decisions that I made, because, because? I ended up working with Cheryl Sandberg mm-hmm. on her team and being her finance business partner. And at the time, Google was 1,000 people. Right. We didn't have any infrastructure around finance, so it was less about the number counting and more about building an operation and building a finance function for a business that was growing like crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That and was fun. So you did just the financial systems for Google, just getting it? I was in what's called financial planning and analysis, or right. sales finance, and so I built out all the budgeting, all the planning, all the forecasting, and all the operations around the finance mm-hmm. team for what was the online sales and operations group. Which was the biggest group, Google, right? Which was the biggest the biggest group, and growing like crazy. Like the money's coming over the transom like nuts. I mean, eventually the online sales business yeah. became majority well, of Google they revenues, bought, as you yeah, know. They did that deal with Overture, all kinds of stuff. That's right. Remember. Yeah, That happened right after I joined. Yeah, which yeah. was critical, which yeah. was critical to them. It was. And problematic later, but also critical to their growth. That but it was made they, ads a real it, business. It finally became, had a business rather than just search. Because there were a lot of search companies. Were you worried about that search had been tried by so many and failed? By so many, you know, there were so many different iterations of search that didn't work. I wasn't worried about search. I was inside Google. Mm-hmm. And so I knew how much money the company was making every day. Right. Because I was in finance. Right. Yeah. And so outside, it may have looked like, oh, we should be really worried about search. Yeah. And inside, it was like, wow, this is a business that people are showing up every day to use Mm -hmm. and they're clicking on the ads and they're getting value out of it and no one can really stop this. Did anyone wonder why you worked there, like your family or anything else? Because you were at Goldman Sachs. Like that's sort of the traditional route. My mother said... Well, you know, honey, if this Google thing doesn't work out, you can always, you know, go back to public accounting. And today, <laughs> so it's like, that sounds, you know, crazy, but she yeah. she didn't know what it was. In 2003, right. it wasn't a done deal. It wasn't mm-hmm. solved. It wasn't figured out. And where I grew up in Detroit, nobody knew what Google was. No one right. was searching for things on the internet all the time. And mm-hmm. if they were doing anything, they were doing it with Yahoo, which right. was a different company sure. at the time. Yeah, and Google powered Yahoo, if you That's recall. Right. I remember having an argument with Joe Yang, get them off of here right away, because they're going right. to kill you. Those letters are very attractive, those <laughs> colorful letters. Talk about the culture there then, and working there. What was it like? It was, you know, everybody at Google, and still is, I think, at least what I hear, is very collaborative, mm-hmm. um, pretty consensus-driven. We all want to you know, solve the world's problem, organize Mm -hmm. the world's information, like aspire to something bigger than yourself, and we're all going to do it together. And that was just a part of 
the culture, we thought about everything was about having fun mm-hmm. all the time. And yeah. we worked hard. Mm-hmm. So we worked hard and we played hard. But it was really about, like, how are we going to do something bigger than ourselves? And we would set these big goals that we were pretty sure we weren't going to achieve them. But if we aimed high and ended up just a little bit below that, then we would accomplish something sure. big. And I always thought Google was the most unusual group of dysfunctional people who function well together. You know? <laughs> <laughs> sort of, I think we all functional, had dysfunctional. an idea about how we wanted to do something. Mm-hmm. And it was, they were so different. The ideas were different, which may mean the dysfunction that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But we somehow, you know, they did something with the hiring process that allowed us to get along. Mm-hmm. And we didn't scream at each other and we didn't yell, mm-hmm. at least not in the early days. Mm-hmm. And so we just... Make it happen. So you were there for how long? How, how long were you there for? I was there for nine years. And why did you leave? That's a long time somewhere, I guess, because that's long why. Time. Long time. It's a long time. What ha- What caused you to it say was, um, enough? I enjoyed, I loved working at Google, but it was time for me to go on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. I, I had accomplished so much. I started in finance. Right. I had moved over into operations. I had moved to India mm-hmm. and run That's a right. team of a thousand people. Yeah. I came back and I was an entrepreneur in residence at Google Ventures. I had tried a lot of different jobs there. And for me, my next thing probably just wasn't going to be at Google. Right. I ran, you I didn't want to move up the chain there? I wanted, Google was now 50,000 people, so right. 1,000 to 50,000. And I was more excited to sort of go back to a smaller company that had a big mission mm-hmm. and start to build that again. Mm-hmm. And so you looked around. You obviously, Google people get job offers everywhere. I looked around. I actually had met Leah from TaskRabbit a year before and just tried the service. My daughter was five weeks old. And every time I meet a new entrepreneur, I always use the service or try the product or check it out and Mm -hmm. see what it's all about. So I sent somebody to Target Mm -hmm. to buy some things from me. And two hours, this person shows up. And I was like, wow, Mm -hmm. this is something different. Mm -hmm. So fast forward a year later, I was visiting TaskRabbit's building. And Mm -hmm. I saw the company was there. And I checked in with her. And she had just kicked off the COO search. And she said, are you interested in being a part of the process? And Mm -hmm. at first I said, you know, maybe, but let me find out what's going on with the company. And Mm -hmm. they were really on to something. And Mm -hmm. I said, here's another company with this big mission to revolutionize everyday work. And here I am looking for a company with a big mission that can scale. And this was a business that is powered by people. Right. So this was an operation. And my entire skill set is all in operations. And so... Talk about that a little bit, the idea of this sort of sharing economy kind of thing is just getting started. But it's very analog. It's a very analog kind of thing that you're trying to digitize, essentially. Yeah, I mean, the sharing economy is is sort of a an old term now that, mm-hmm. you know, fast forward eight years to when, when TaskRabbit was founded. But what we're really trying to do is create opportunities for people to earn a meaningful income mm-hmm. and do it in a responsible way. I mean, I think of TaskRabbit as everyday work for everyday people. Mm-hmm. And I get to sort of create, build a business where we're matching people every day who have time and skills to get something done and people Whatever who need something done around their house. Mm-hmm. And why is that a technology company then? I mean, that idea of, and, and I wanted you to get more into the idea of what TaskRabbit is and isn't because it's hard because I think a lot of these companies they just put digital things around what is again an analog business I like to say and I talk about this actually with HP Mm -hmm. TaskRabbit exists because of the technology 
mm-hmm. that has been created because mm-hmm. of mobile technology, because of the internet, because of location-based services, we're able to now build a platform where we can connect people in a way that we couldn't before. Right. So we haven't built the technology, but because the technology exists, we can enable people to do things that they couldn't do right. before. Right. And so you started a COO. Mm-hmm. You guys raised how much money now? We've raised $50 million. $50 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the more prominent ones in this area. Why don't you want to call it the sharing economy? Or what is it just not that? Or what do you? How do you describe it now? As now that you're the CEO. So I I like to describe TaskRabbit as the leader in home on demand home services. Mm-hmm. I mean we've moved from you know neighbors helping neighbors to being a business where you can get home services on demand. Mm-hmm. You can download our app and use it and actually find somebody to clean your house or find a handyman in less than five minutes. 80% of the time. Mm-hmm. And that's very different than the original construct of the sharing economy. Underneath all of that is just this bigger economic responsibility. And I think some of that conversation has been lost that we believe that we have to empower people mm-hmm. to find meaningful work. We right. have over 55,000 registered taskers in our community, and they're using TaskRabbit to pay one to three major bills a day. Right. We'll talk about the controversies around that, too, because some people feel like it's changing the way jobs are. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But sure. but when you're talking about the company, so you're the COO. There were some bumps along the road while you were trying to do it. Talk about those a little bit. And then you became CEO. Talk about that sort of Yeah, um, there was some bumps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got there, and then six months later, I've joined the company. I realized that we weren't focused on the most important things for the business. Mm-hmm. And so we had some layoffs. We actually pivoted the business model mm-hmm. and focused on a direct hiring model. And it took mm-hmm. a year what to make that pro- happen. What was the problem? Explain that for people. I, I know you, like to, you all like to pivot, but it, something didn't work. We went from offering everything for everybody, right? and in doing that, it was like a 50% chance that you'd actually get your task done on TaskRabbit. Sure. So we said, that's not going to work. Right. We actually Because people feel business. dissatisfied. Or they feel very, they're either very happy or very dissatisfied. Right. We couldn't build a scalable business that way. Mm-hmm. So we shifted to, we're only going to offer a few things, four things that you can get done around your home, mm-hmm. cleaning, handyman, moving, or delivery. Mm-hmm. And we're going to focus on specific markets to make that happen and increase the chances that you can get it done. So now it's like an 86% chance that Mm -hmm. you get it done. By doing that, we were then able to reinvest money into marketing and growing the business and increasing our density and penetration in those markets. So where happiness and payoff comes together. That's right. So for people who don't understand, how do you all get paid? You're a matching service, essentially. You're matching people. What is your part in it? Yeah, we, so we take a fee on every transaction. So mm-hmm. once you post a task on TaskRabbit, in a few minutes, somebody will accept that task. The like person an Uber completes, or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Somebody completes the job, and then we take a transaction fee once that job is completed. Mm-hmm. And then from who? From the which side? From the client. From the client. Yes. The buyer. The buyer. Yeah. So in it, making it smaller in those some areas, is that to, in order to expand again or to not expand again? Or is that, do you think that you just have to pick as a company what you want to do? Because tasks could be anything. You could do everything. Yeah. One of the reasons why we focused on a few categories is that we wanted to make sure we had enough taskers or supply in mm-hmm. a marketplace terminology to actually do the job. Mm-hmm. And so by focusing, we know how to find great handyman and great cleaners. Mm-hmm. A second reason why we did it was so that we could actually market the service mm-hmm. to people in a clear way that they would understand it. Mm-hmm. We couldn't go to market with, we do everything. What we can't go to market with is that we will clean your home. 
we will do your chores while you live your life. Mm-hmm. And it made a much easier kind of value proposition for people to understand. Mm-hmm. And that can that expands. We're only right. in 19 cities right now. We're only in one city outside the U.S. Mm-hmm. We want to be in more markets. We think, I believe TaskRabbit should exist everywhere. And so we can take our home services platform and launch more markets. And then over time, we'll add more categories to now, it. Now, there's been a lot of niches in this area, too. A lot of different cleaning, some of which are better than others, washing services that mm-hmm. do little discrete pieces of this. How do you compete with those? Well, one of the things that we've learned from having multiple categories is that our clients come back and use us more often mm-hmm. when we actually add more, we have more services. Mm-hmm. And so people who've come up with verticals are doing or trying to do the same thing by mm-hmm. adding mm-hmm. other verticals we already have them right you already have them but do you is there too many of them do you look at the market because there's been a lot of companies in this market and a lot of them are closing down or failing yeah i don't know if there's too many mm-hmm. but we don't see it as a problem in terms of our growth we've mm-hmm. had we've always had positive unit economics we're mm-hmm. profitable on every task mm-hmm. in every category and mm-hmm. we've always been that way mm-hmm. but you've raised this enormous amount of money yes profitable in every task does that mean profitable as a company or profitable a gross as- margin Contribution margin So talk about your transition to COO to CEO. Why did that happen? It was when April, right? Or something? That was in April. Right. But Lee and I have been talking about it for months. Mm -hmm. She came to me and said, you know, we had reached a point where we grew 4X last year and we had reached such a good point of scale that she said, look, this is the time where, you know, I'd like to step aside and let you come in as CEO. I'll Mm -hmm. become chairwoman of the company and you can take the company to the next level. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty amicable decision. Mm-hmm. We went to the board. board mm-hmm. said, this is great. And it happened. Mm-hmm. So it's fairly, you know, there was the logistics around announcement that, right. you know, you all didn't see in the background. Right. But it was sort of right. several months of planning that went into Had it. Had you wanted to be a CEO? Everyone wants to be a CEO, presumably, or not. I don't, but yeah. did you? I don't think everyone wants to be a CEO. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I wanted to be a CEO until... Mm-hmm. I was offered the job. Mm-hmm. I was very happy running a great company with a great partner. Mm-hmm. When the opportunity came up, I felt like there was things that I could do as CEO of TaskRabbit that would make the business successful. I just wanted TaskRabbit to exist for everyone. So you would have all successful. the handles and all the ability to do things there. Yeah, and I, I you know, my experience at Google of going from 1,000 to 50,000 people has taught me a lot about growth and scale, and mm-hmm. we're at a point in the company where that's exactly what we're doing, and so I could apply all of that to this great business, and I was okay, yeah, I want this job as CEO. So what's been the big, hardest thing for you since you've gotten that job? Prioritization uh-huh. of my time. Uh-huh. That's been the hardest thing. Meaning? You get asked to do a lot, mm-hmm. and the most important thing that I can do is make TaskRabbit successful. Mm-hmm. But knowing on a given day which one of those things actually will make that happen, mm-hmm. it's hard to decide. Right, right. So what do you think your biggest task is then? Growing the company. Growing the company. Yeah. It, meaning in new places, in new categories, and improving. With new partnerships and expanding into new markets. Uh-huh. All Those right. When we things. get back, we're going to talk about where the sharing economy stuff is going. Because I think it's really interesting. There's been lots of investments. Recently, there's been a lot of sales or closings of lots of companies in Silicon Valley. I want to talk a little bit about that okay. and more with Stacy Brown Philpot. Casper made the perfect mattress and sells it directly to consumers to save you money. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Shipping to both the U.S. and Canada is completely free, and there's a 100-day risk-free trial and return policy. If you don't love your Casper mattress, they'll pick it up and refund everything. These mattresses are made in America. 
Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. Stop paying for the mattress industry's inflated prices. Go to casper.com slash R-E-C-O-D-E and use the promo code RECODE. Terms and conditions apply. We'd also like to thank Oxford Road. Ever wonder how these ads on podcasts work? A startup pays the host like me to read a script about their disruptive product or service. We know you're choosing to listen, and that means you'll probably, at the very least, give any product or service we mention a serious consideration. But what if you were one of those startups who want to advertise on a podcast? Where do you start? That's where Oxford Road comes in. It's the leading advertising agency in consumer tech. Companies like Dollar Shave Club, MeUndies, Blue Apron, and more started with Oxford Road. Oxford Road engineers ads to perform. They buy media based on over $100 million in performance data, and their world-class analytics and attribution methods give you confidence in every line of performance, just like digital. Go to OxfordRoad.com scale, set up a free analysis, and find out what it would cost you to test ads on a podcast, and maybe the next script I'll be reading will be yours. Go to OxfordRoad.com scale right now. We're here with Stacy Brown Philpot. She's the CEO of TaskRabbit, which is a very well-known company here in San Francisco. It does tasks, essentially. And she recently became the CEO, relatively recently. She's a former Googler. Um, and we've been talking about where we are in Silicon Valley in this particular area. You are in a genre. And again, what, you don't want to call it sharing company. What would you say you're in? What area are you in? Service or what? I think we're in the sharing economy. Right. But we're a home services mm-hmm. platform. In the, the, sharing in the way Uber is yeah. a car service or whatever it calls itself today. Sure. What do you imagine is going to happen with all these companies? There's so many of them. It seems like, you know, there were a lot started. Now the pace has gone a lot slower in every single genre available. I think there's not one food, parking, home services, cleaning, washing, drinks, everything else. There's not, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, What's happened here and where does it go? Where, where's the next place for it? I think there's going to have to be some consolidation. Yeah. What, what I think is happening is that on our mobile phones today, we have a lot of apps mm-hmm. that we use. And over time, there'll just be fewer that we rely on. Mm-hmm. And so what we'll have to do as service providers of those apps is provide be- a better offering. And for us, it's like life essentials. Mm-hmm. And so the consolidation will happen. I don't mm-hmm. know what happens to the companies in that consolidation, but I think there'll have to be some, at least some consolidation mm-hmm. in the market. Has there been too much expansion, too much money thrown at this? Maybe. I You're a financial person. You, you can know, answer better than that. I, I can't think about other companies. I think that, you know, we've always thought about having strong unit economics. Mm-hmm. And so the timing of which we've taken money and taking investment has really been built on, do we have, have we reached the next stage of growth? Can we grow the business with the unit economics that we have in a consumer business? And I don't know that every company has thought about that and Mm -hmm. thought about the way they raise money. And likewise, the investors have thought about the way they've provided the capital. Well, it's called rigor, actually, rigor of understanding the money. So what you're concerned with is not so much the category if it exploded or it starts to get weak in certain areas. It's how you manage your place in the category. That's right. I mean, home services is a $400 billion market. Mm -hmm. So we've got... A lot it's of, mostly dissipated. I'm trying to think there's, uh, which I'm call Angie's List, there's all kinds of things that are in the home services. Who do you consider a competitor? Well, most of our competition is people doing it themselves. Right. Like okay. they decide that 
I feel guilty mm-hmm. or I can do this myself. And we mm-hmm. want TaskRabbit to be the trusted place where they go. As the platform. As the platform. The workers. The workers themselves. And we want the clients to sort of think of TaskRabbit when they need their house clean or they need a handyman. Mm-hmm. There's certainly other companies out there that do that. Angie's List is an example of a lead generation mm-hmm. you know, opportunity. And we think we're different because you actually can hire the person on TaskRabbit. You know who's going to do the work. You know how much it's going to cost. It's a very different new version of, of what they have is what mm-hmm. I think of as, as an mm-hmm. old business model. So let's talk about the changing economics of jobs then, because you are a job company. You're creating jobs for people. There's been a lot of controversies around this. Some people think, you know, everyone in Silicon Valley, it's the be- best thing ever. Everybody gets to work whenever they want. They get to, you know, that's the Uber argument. It's the same thing. It's like, there are trade-offs about what happens to jobs in this country and, and what they're, they're not unionized. There's not as many rights, the healthcare issues. Let's go over some of the more controversial aspects of it. Sure. I mean, obviously, I think you'll be on the side of this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, just the way I recently had Cheryl Sandberg on stage talking about AI is fantastic, and there are some that beg to differ. Talk about both sides. I'd love to, like, I, I get the plus side that anyone gets to work whenever they want. They get to earn a living or extra money if they're a mother or, you know, they need extra, whatever, you're a college student, what, you need extra money to do these things, and you have skills. That's the plus side. So let's, let's talk about the tasker side. Mm-hmm. When I grew up in Detroit, like, I came from a working class family and mm-hmm. people... What did your parents do? My mother was a single mom and mm-hmm. she was a claims adjuster at an insurance company. She mm-hmm. actually dropped out of school to become... She was going to become a registered nurse mm-hmm. because she had to take care of me and my brother. Mm-hmm. And she didn't have TaskRabbit. Like, right. There was no service mm-hmm. available for her. And so she made a bunch of sacrifices for us. Mm-hmm. So if TaskRabbit had existed, like she would fall asleep helping us with our homework. And what if there was this service that could help her get things done Mm -hmm. so that she could spend more time with us? And that Mm -hmm. just didn't exist. And so I know that there's a lot of controversy around Mm -hmm. this, but it means a lot to me. And Mm -hmm. likewise, I grew up with people who couldn't find jobs. Mm -hmm. They couldn't find W-2 jobs. They they were hardworking people with great work ethics. And in Detroit, the auto industry went away for a Mm -hmm. long time. It's Mm -hmm. coming back now, but it went away. And these are hardworking people. And so they would do anything to create a side hustle. Mm -hmm. And what TaskRabbit has done and many other sharing economy companies has actually formalized the side hustle in the sense Mm -hmm. that we are now giving people a way to Mm -hmm. earn an income that is meaningful. We don't set um, our hourly rates below the average minimum wage for the country. So the minimum amount you can make on TaskRabbit is the highest minimum wage in the country. Mm-hmm. And so because of that... California, right? Okay. In the country, yeah. so we, which is California. Yeah. So in the country. And so anybody, anywhere, any one of our 19 markets will never make below minimum wage. And we, we did that because we knew that people were depending on TaskRabbit for a living. Mm-hmm. And we were becoming a social safety net and we wanted to provide people with livable wages. And so I think about this as more than just the flexibility mm-hmm. that they have, but it's coming to a place where you can make $1,000 a month mm-hmm. to pay two bills. And before that, you would have either gone into debt Mm-hmm. or had to go borrow the money from someone else and how fulfilling is now your life because you're not going to borrow and ask for money. You can actually go make it on your own with the mm-hmm. skills that you have. So a lot of people don't think it's hollowing out the job market, that it's eventually we're going to be in this sort of weird servant. You know that joke I make is that San Francisco is assisted living for millennials. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever they want is available to them. And these people are, have means and money to be able to afford this. Not everybody does, for one. Mm-hmm. And for two, that the jobs, it, it hollows out the job economy where if everything can be task-rabbited, and I don't know if that's a verb, you create you know, not enough regulatory structure around it, not enough rights for workers. You don't get regulated enough. I know that's an anathema to Silicon Valley people, but there are some good parts of regulation that do protect 
workers. Yeah, we are not against worker protection mm-hmm. at all. In fact, we have a $1 million insurance policy that protects our taskers who do the work and mm-hmm. the clients who get the services done. Mm-hmm. And so and we've been cooperating at all levels, the federal, the city, and the state level of government to make sure that whatever policies come about are policies mm-hmm. that are informed, um, they're educated about how our business will work within within those policies and that they actually protect the workers. So we are not against worker protection. I think the hollowing point is one where um, I often struggle to answer that question mm-hmm. because I'm not in a generation of millennials who see the world in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so what TaskRabbit, what we're trying to do is embrace the fact that we do have a community of people in cities like Chicago, you know, let's go beyond San Francisco, for mm-hmm. example, in cities like D.C., where they are choosing to work in a different way. And mm-hmm. over time, there's a structure to their lives that's a whole lot more flexible than the one that I was expected mm-hmm. to grow up in. And so to the extent that we can, one, enable that, I think that's great, and two, work with the regulatory bodies to create whatever regulatory frameworks that allow these companies to be successful but also allow people to cre- to find work and have meaningful jobs, then I think that's a good thing. So there has been some moves. Gavin Newsom, who's running for governor of California eventually, and uh, it talks about creating a whole new regulatory framework around work. What has to happen around work? Because in a lot of ways, you could think of, you know, Larry Page touched on this one, that maybe everyone's not going to have job. Job creation is really hard. When you hear the government saying, we're going to create more, like right now in this election, we're going to create more jobs. Governments really can't create jobs anymore. It's a really different, or they can, but it's not quite as easy as it was. How does that happen if everyone's on a part-time task rabbit kind of world? I think that one of the things that has to happen is the concept of part-time mm-hmm. should be better understood because the people who task on task rabbit are taskers. They have full-time jobs. It's just not the same job. Mm-hmm. And they're defining, you know, I want to work 50 hours this week and 30 hours next week and that's how I'm going to pick up my kid from preschool or daycare for example. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things is this, the definition of a part-time job and how that's classified is one thing that needs to change. The other one is just training. And, you know, can the government create jobs? Is it the company's responsibility to create jobs? One of the things that we struggle with is we want to be able to provide more training to our taskers. Like I know how to drill a hole into a brick wall and I want to be able to drill a hole into a concrete wall and Mm -hmm. I need to learn that skill Mm -hmm. and how do we do skill development and who supports that I mean that's a service that I think could be joint it could be something that we provide or it could be government led Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the definition of where jobs are it's not going to be the same presumably and that's the worry a lot of people have like that it's been a pretty good system up until now and now it seems a little bit blown apart I think it's a worry because we don't know where it's going to end up. But Mm -hmm. when you think about there's 1 million freelancers today, and by 2020, that number could be high as 40 million, Mm -hmm. people are finding a way to make money. Right. And if the current structure isn't supporting that, they're finding another way. Do you imagine a world without permanent jobs? I can imagine a world where your choice of a permanent job is not as long tenured as it used to be. Mm-hmm. I definitely can imagine that world. Mm-hmm. And what protections need to be in place then from your perspective as someone who's running one of these companies? Yeah. I want people to feel like they can retire when they want to retire. I want people to feel like they, if they break their wrist or they get sick, right, they have health care to take care of their children. Mm-hmm. Um, I want people to feel like if I need to take a vacation, I can take a vacation. And I want people to feel like if, 
if I want to learn and I want to grow and develop as a learner in this job, I can do that. So what responsibility do you and the Ubers have? Because Uber has more of a, eh, whatever. It seems like it. You know, I know they try to say it, but it feels a little bit like you're on your own, Jack, kind of thing. Yeah, this is a responsibility that we take very seriously. We have so many stories of taskers who actually use TaskRabbit to fund some of these things, Mm -hmm. like their college education or their children's college education. Mm -hmm. And so we see ourselves as being you know, an economic responsibility to make sure that our platform is a place where they can earn a meaningful income. Mm -hmm. And working with whatever regulatory bodies are willing to sit at the table and have a real conversation about how we do that. Are they still hostile? Because there's some hostility, obviously. We've never experienced any hostility. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you give hostility, you get hostility, Mm -hmm. but we've always just raised our hands. How much time do you spend on regulatory issues? We have a team that focuses on it. I spend maybe 5 to 10% of my time on mm-hmm. it, but we have a team that focuses on mm-hmm. what are the regulatory issues and how do we educate people It's really them. coalesced around the cars for some reason. It's really interesting, all the regulatory fighting that goes on. Maybe you're right. It's maybe the companies that are doing it in that way. Last question on this issue. When you imagine you, you've improved your app, you've improved the experience on your app, what do you think the most important thing going forward to this sector is? What is the next iteration from that? Yeah, I think that the beyond kind of app consolidation Mm -hmm. and becoming, you know, the primary use on your home screen, we think that the technology around voice and messaging will be the next destination where people ask for getting something done. So you're in your kitchen, you get off the phone with your mom and you say, Alexa. Mm -hmm. Can you reschedule my weekly cleaning to Saturday because my mom's coming early? Mm -hmm. And so now your regular tasker who comes and cleans your house on Sundays will now come on Saturday to do Mm -hmm. your house cleaning for Mm -hmm. you. And Mm so what has to happen is that our service needs to evolve so that it can embrace new platforms. Are you doing that now? Are you creating that? We're working on it. We're working on it. Are you on Alexa right now? Am I? No, we're not. You're not. not. Oh, I like that. Because, you know, you know, I love my Echo. I'm the Echo lover of all time. Oh, my God. I met one of the guys who designed it, and I nearly salivated over him. (laughs) I have a weird, and now they have a music service. I don't know what I'm going to do. I ask it to a lot of things. I would like it to be able to do other things. Good. But you're right. Voices are really interesting. And it hasn't been iterated. Google hasn't iterated it. Apple hasn't iterated it very well. Siri's fine. Kind of not good. Mm -hmm. Um, So voice and messaging is the next thing. Mm -hmm. What else? And then just growing TaskRabbit in new markets. Mm-hmm. We um, we have a playbook where we understand what makes a big market successful and a smaller mm-hmm. market successful. And there's a cultural adaptation mm-hmm. to going into every market. And so we've now got to figure out how to take that playbook and launch in new markets where the cultures will be different. So where are you now abroad? We're just in London. London. Where else are you going there? We want to go into four more markets. So four. I won't talk about all the ones. ones. So all the surprise. ones. Yeah, Germany should be interesting. You yeah. think so? Yeah. Why? I don't know. I don't know the cultural things of asking for people in your home. You know what I mean? I think that's one of the things. It would be very, you know India well. I think Mm -hmm. it would be, you know, it's a very different setup and how people work there. And they have a whole structure there around working that is a little bit odd. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's all status and class-based too at the same time. So it's a really different kind of thing. Surprisingly though, we get a lot of interest in TaskRabbit in India. Really? Interesting. Interesting. Um, And then in this country, where would you like to expand to? Just, Just more cities. More cities. More cities. What's your most important city, San Francisco? Well, our largest market is New York. Ah, okay. And it should be. The population is bigger. It's just bigger. The numbers are bigger in New York. (laughs) Nail a wall, nail a hole in a wall and stuff like that. Um, But San Francisco is a big market for us, too. So, you know, San Francisco is a... I'm going to do an experiment and have task to do everything for me one week, I think. You should. It would be really interesting to see if they could actually accomplish it. You know, I don't shop anymore. I just do Amazon. 
what's everything? Everything. Just whatever I, whatever you do, not other things. Okay. I have other okay. means to do that. Okay. Kind of stuff, but, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to go into that. We're speaking with Stacy Brown-Philpot. She is the CEO of TaskRabbit. And when we get back, we're going to be talking about Silicon Valley, being a woman and other things here. And a CEO, which is, you're, you're kind of a unicorn, Stacy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Unicorns. We, <laughs> unicorns. Yeah, you're a unicorn in many ways. When we get back, we'll be talking to her about that. While others are talking about 5G, Qualcomm has been creating it. Just as they pioneered many 3G and 4G technologies, they're now pushing the boundaries of LTE, collaborating with industry leaders and spearheading the research efforts needed to make 5G a reality. Their innovations are critical to developing a wireless network designed to meet our world's ever-increasing data demands, of which are ever-increasing. 5G will provide a layer of connectivity fabric that is fundamental to everyday life. It will impact our jobs, our cities, our homes, and ourselves. So I've got a question for all of you. If you were an engineer at Qualcomm dreaming up the next Internet of Things innovations, what would you create? Can you think of ways that IoT might help the less fortunate, keep our families safe in our homes and cars, or help save the environment? And what about games, media, and entertainment? Tell us your idea on Twitter. Use the hashtags WhyWait and Sweeps, and we'll pick one lucky winner to have lunch with me and Lauren Good from Too Embarrassed to Ask. Again, that's hashtag why wait and sweeps. For contest rules, please visit recode.net slash why wait. You must be 18 to enter. The deadline is September 9th, and the monetary value of this lunch is 0.18 Bitcoin. I'd also like to tell you about Recode Media with Peter Kafka. And this week, I have the real Peter Kafka here in the San Francisco studio with me. Peter, who did you talk to this week? I talked to the godfather of blogging, Om Malik. Om, I love so Om. Om was happy and healthy and, yes. and pensive. We Explain talked the Om to the people who might not know that. You guys know who Om is. But Om is, is the Om of Giga Om. Mm-hmm. I met him way back in the day when he worked at For- Forbes.com. Oh, right, okay. Left to become a venture capitalist for right, like but, a minute. yeah. And then was one of the first guys to go, I'm going to type up my thoughts and publish them on the internet and then do it each day. And eventually he said, oh, that's actually going to be my job. Yep. And started Giga. Yep. Which for a while was a very influential, dominant publisher. Talked about what happened when that thing folded. He talked about how that impacted his health. Mm-hmm. And heart attack. Yes, he did. Coded out at one point. Mm-hmm. This become a recurring theme with people I talk to on this yeah. podcast. Yeah, I, I look people forward to heart attacks. Ohm, yes, I know that Ohm is a legend. He really he's a legend, is. and we're glad he's well. I'm glad he talked to us. Thank you. I can't wait to hear it. Good one. You can subscribe to Recode Media on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're here in the red chair with Stacey Brown-Philpot, the CEO of TaskRabbit. She's a former Google exec, and she's been involved in all kinds of things. You're also on the board of HP. What's that like? That must be interesting. Perspective. Yeah. Who's that's the CEO? The that's, is that Megs? Dion Weisland. That's right. That's the other one, right? Yeah. yeah. How did you get on the board there? What was the... I actually got a referral yeah. to the recruiter who was doing the search from mm-hmm. Clara Shee. I don't yeah. know if you know Clara yes, or not. And I met with a recruiter. They were, it was right as HP was splitting into two. So they mm-hmm. were reforming the board. Uh, Meg was actually spending a lot of time focused on diversity mm-hmm. and creating a very diverse board. Mm-hmm. And so there was a broad section of people that they were looking at. Yeah. And so I went and I interviewed with Meg and with Dion and the rest. Something they find hard, but really there. isn't, actually. I was talking to Tristan about this. Like, it's not that hard. No, you've been hiding in plain sight, I feel, <laughs> right? You know? So talk a little bit about, let's talk first about gender, because it's, uh, there's not many women CEOs, um, right. and fewer and fewer, actually. There's lesser and more, and depending. How is that? Is that different for you, or just not think about it? I always am curious. Uh, I don't think about my gender. Mm-hmm. 
I think about the combination of mm-hmm. being a black woman. Yeah. And I, I, it's really hard think, for me to the, separate who the else? two. Who else is a black woman? Ursula? There's a friend of mine named Shelly Archambault who's mm-hmm. at Metric Stream. She's mm-hmm. an enterprise software company. And if you're thinking people of color and CEO of Pepsi. Yes. Um, but not a lot. Not a lot. Not a lot. Why yeah. is that? It's just, I, I don't know. I mean, I really think that there hasn't been enough role models. Mm-hmm for CEOs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when I went to India and I showed up and it was, uh, Ursula had just been named CEO mm-hmm. and no one had a model. This for, is of Xerox. Of Xerox, right. And no one had a model of black women running the office for Google. Right. And so some came, woman came up to me and said, so are you like Ursula? <laughs> because that was their model. Right. And I, it right. occurred to me that there was no other model for thinking about it. And mm-hmm. so you know, for me to become CEO, I now get to be a model for right. what other people can aspire to and what they do. You want to be a model? To. Now you have to be, or do you want to be? Or I want to be, mm-hmm. and I have to be. Right. It's it's my responsibility, mm-hmm. and I own it. Right. So, what is that like? What does that mean for you when you're doing that? It just means that I make time to talk to people. Mm-hmm. I every time I think about something that I'm doing, a decision that I'm making, I think about the impact that it'll have on the community. Mm -hmm. I embrace involving myself in the community so that people can see those models. Mm -hmm. And, you know, quite frankly, it means I sleep a little bit less and Mm -hmm. maybe spend a little bit less time with my family, but it's important for me to to fill that role. Why do you feel like there aren't as many? I know you say, I don't know, but you've got to have thought about this. I've thought about it. We've all thought about it. What happens that there's very few women, very few people of color in tech, Google tried very hard to make it a more diverse, but I know they went to great lengths, not very successfully. Yeah. Um, what is the problem from your perspective? And then there's lots of problems. I know it's a complex yeah. issue. Yeah, I think there's two ways to look at it. The first is, does the culture of the company embrace the diversity? Mm-hmm. And, and embrace meaning, are we a place that people feel welcome and they can bring their whole selves to work? Mm-hmm. And when they're there, are we doing what's required to retain the people who are there? Mm-hmm. And... I don't know that that has been thought about carefully enough. Um, it's something that I think about every day. Are, am, are we doing that? Right, when you say not rabbit? thought about carefully, what are the mistakes that are made? You know, one of the things that I struggled with early on in my career was joining a company where it's built on referrals mm-hmm. and the idea of hiring people based on your own network, if you actually don't have a diverse network, right. then you're less likely to hire people yeah. who are diverse. No, no it's the, it's and the, it's much easier when you're growing very fast and just you to need grab, grab, to grab. just grab people. And that's it needs to be an intentional kind of stated objective. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing is just around the pipeline. Mm-hmm. You know, I have been the only for most of my career. Mm-hmm. You know, I walk into a room and there's the one black yeah. woman. Mm-hmm. Um, or two black women, and there just aren't that many because the pipeline of talent just isn't there. And I know we overuse that word. Yeah, we like do. We just bit. need to build the pipeline. But the fact of the matter is, when I go home to Detroit, there are people who don't know that they can become the CEO of a tech company. Mm-hmm. And someone needs to invest in building that pipeline. Mm-hmm. But do you imagine that it's maybe made invisible? Because there's like a new movie coming out, all these black women mathematicians who were very critical to the uh, space race. You know, just coming out. I know Megan's talked about Katherine Johnson and yes. others. Invisible, critical. Matt, I think you bring up a third piece that I hadn't thought about mm-hmm. until you just said that mm-hmm. is the role of media mm-hmm. in highlighting 
who these people are, telling their stories, sharing their story, and making those stories more mm-hmm. public. I've mm-hmm. never been in media, so I can't mm-hmm. comment on the success or failure of that. But you know, being able to talk about those stories is really important. When I was in high school, we talked about black history a lot, but 98% of the people in my school were black, mm-hmm. for example. Right, that doesn't happen everywhere. Right, right. So I would say at TaskRabbit, in our company, it's less about the role of media and the, what role do we play in sharing and talking about the diversity in mm-hmm. our company mm-hmm. and making people feel welcome. Mm-hmm. So when we, the a lot of the shootings that happened in, in early July, right. um, I got up in front of the company and I just talked about being black mm-hmm. in America. And right. I just shared it with the company, no one else. And it opened up a dialogue in a way that, you know, those are horrible outcomes and horrible experiences. But it opened up a dialogue where people can start to really talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and more of that needs to happen. What did you tell them? It really was for them. But mm-hmm. I just talked about my experience growing up mm-hmm. as a black person in mm-hmm. America and how the when you see what was happening and police officers were shooting black men and then there was the retaliation that occurred after that, both of those things hurt Mm -hmm. because as my grandmother would say, people are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm -hmm. And it's sad that we've gotten to this place Mm -hmm. in the country and that we need to find a way to heal. Mm -hmm. And I was afraid that that healing wasn't going to happen before more hurt happen to other people what did you articulate about your experience though that you giving them a new perspective like you have to see it from a community that's sort of preyed upon yeah I I my perspective of I know what it's like to be afraid of the police Mm -hmm. and when you see a police officer you don't immediately feel safe Mm -hmm. you wonder what you've done wrong and what could happen to you Mm -hmm. and that's the world that I existed in in a world where and people have talked about this, but you're taught to limit your answers to an officer because mm-hmm. you don't know how they're going to treat you. Right. Which I think people and don't even get. No, they don't. And just me saying it in front of the company was was eye-opening right. for so many people. What? Police officers are so nice to us. Right. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is a different thing. Even hearing yeah. it from someone. Because I know people believe it in some way. Mm-hmm. Even if they're told again and again and hear it again and again, because it becomes so politicized in yeah, a lot of ways. But it's how you live. Mm-hmm. You don't know anything different, just like you don't know anything different. Mm-hmm. This is how we grew up. Right. Absolutely. So I talked about that. Yeah, I think it's hard for people to talk about things. When I was when we were covering the Ellen Powell trial, this is in in gender issues. A lot of CEOs wouldn't talk to me on the record about it. Just wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Said it was the third. One of them said it was the third rail of mm-hmm. discussion here. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it was gay issues, they'd talk about it. They wouldn't shut up. Mm-hmm. And they want their names attached to it. It was a really interesting issue. And race, forget it. Now mm-hmm. they don't want to get near that. And it's. And I had an interesting lunch today with someone who needs to think about this a lot. And one of the, and he's a white guy. And he said, you know, I feel like when I say something, I have to be really careful. I don't know what to say. You know. And, and this is someone who's quite devoted to the issue. I said, you're just gonna have to take the reaction for a little while. Like I yeah. think once they get a little negative reaction, a lot of these white men in Silicon Valley, they get really nervous. And instead of just pushing through. The reaction, which is completely valid, it, it sets them back because it's not, aren't you nice to th- talk about this? Like, thank you My so much. My experience is that you would be better off just talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Because Even it often is the elephant in the room. Yeah. And everyone else can see it. Mm-hmm. And so I would like to talk about yeah. it. Yeah. What, what do companies, what can they do better to encourage difference? Because here still, San Francisco is supposed to be that, right? Everyone can be different, but they really can't. 
You know what I mean? It's a really interesting thing. And it's, uh, you know, and they use the word unconscious bias, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's conscious. I keep arguing that it is. I know there's scientific studies that people don't mean it, but I think there's ways to not mean it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I sort of get, it sort of lets people off the hook, well-meaning people. It's often well-meaning people who don't on the surface have racial issues. Like you're not seeing like Trump supporters when you see some of the vile stuff that comes out of their mouth. That's very clear what it is. But here it's a little harder to stop. Because yeah. it's the same result. It's the same result. Um, I think unconscious bias training is a good thing. We okay. did it at our company, and it was a request that came from somebody on the team. Mm-hmm. And after we had the session, every single person, regardless of color in mm-hmm. the company, had a new awakening. They had <laughs> sort of a different lens on how they saw each other mm-hmm. and other people. So I would recommend that. I would mm-hmm. recommend it. And, you know, I also think that just being willing to to talk to somebody who's very different from you mm-hmm. and learn about who they are as a person and that is really 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 hard to do mm-hmm. and i challenged my company people in my company taskrabbit to do that mm-hmm. and try to see me for who i am try mm-hmm. to see all of my differences and appreciate all of my differences and it's a for, it would be a forced dialogue but mm-hmm. we have to force ourselves to yeah. have and that CEOs dialogue don't do that. and not pretend like these things are okay mm-hmm. or that you know, we're just trying to have a conversation. So moving on that a little bit, I mean, Cheryl Sandberg talked about being in a board meeting and always have to be the one to mention women's issues. She feels at first very like, why do I have to be it? And then she's like, oh, I guess I just have to do it. You know what I mean? Like, it's sort of, you just have to kind of thing. You do. I agree. Mm-hmm. I've been in board meetings and had to be the young person. Right. Right. <laughs> and mention like, well, people will use this on a mobile phone and not mm-hmm. on a computer. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. we have no problem doing that. Yeah. So... Yeah. Why not bring up these other issues that are important to us and open up the dialogue around it? Lastly, on this issue, the election, how do you look at this? So my great-grandmother lived with me. Mm -hmm. And so I had people in my house who grew up who couldn't vote. Mm -hmm. And so I just want people to vote. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of intensity around the election and people being frustrated and upset with the jobs. process that we yeah. you know that we've ended up mm-hmm. with I don't have jobs I don't I'm not optimistic about the future for myself or mm-hmm. for my children or even their children but in the end to abstain from voting mm-hmm. is to deny yourself a privilege that not everybody in this country yeah, actually had yeah. Yeah. and so if I ask for anything I just want people to go and vote for someone yeah well, I think I have a feeling who you don't want to vote for, but I'm not going to ask your political beliefs. I'm guessing. Let's finish up talking about being an entrepreneur because it's linked to it. You have to sort of take risks. You got to be out there. Talk a little bit about the Silicon Valley right now. How do you see the innovation cycle? You, you've had different perspectives at big companies and now a small company in finance. How do you look at what's happening now? There's been a lot of sales. There's been a lot of shifts and a lot of people declaring victory when it's just a sale, essentially. How do you look at where we are? You know, I, I've been out in Silicon Valley for 16 years, mm-hmm. and it's always changing. Mm-hmm. And I don't really appreciate the pace of change and innovation until I go somewhere else right. yeah, in absolutely. the country. You're right. You're right. And so I go somewhere else in the country, and they're like, what is this service that you use? <laughs> what? Some new thing yeah. that just came out yeah. that we've all been using like for like Slack. nine months. What yeah. is Slack? That's yeah, a great, I get that that's a great that's one. Fair. I don't even know how that works. Yeah. And so I think we get stuck thinking like there's no innovation or it's slowing or people are opting out and they're selling, but we still are leading innovation. And there's no question that 
it's happening here. As a, as a former M&A person, banker from Wall Street, mm-hmm. right, deals will, will happen. Like mm-hmm. there, will be, there will become companies who decide, bigger companies, this is the way that we are going to grow. Mm-hmm. We're either going to build it ourselves or we're going to buy it. And they make build versus buy decisions all the time. Right. And if that company can be successful as part of a larger business, that's great. If they want to go it on their own, that's great too. But I, I unequivocally think that this is still the place for innovation. And just go and visit somewhere see a lot else. Of sales. Do you want to sell TaskRabbit? I want to grow the company. You want to grow the company? I want to grow the However company. However way. However. However. Yeah. And then we, as an entrepreneur, I always ask this with everyone. So you feel good about those pace of innovation right now? You don't feel there's a – it feels a little tired right now for me, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just tired. It may feel tired because, I don't know, I've been here for a long yeah. time. But just to think back to a time when – I don't know, just a few years ago, we wouldn't have even thought about getting in a car with right. a stranger. You're right, you're right, you're right. And now we, like, hop in. We don't even say hi anymore. Is there an area you think is going to jump? You know. Yeah, you're right, you're right, and just get so out. So it's just, yeah. like, three years ago. Yeah. So I don't think the pace, you know, has slowed Yeah, it's at sort all. of like that Louis C.K. joke about being in the plane and you're using the Internet, and then you start complaining about the Internet on yes. the plane when you're in the tube of death riding along doing the Internet. <laughs> Exactly. You know what you I mean? Wi-Fi. It just doesn't on work. Flight for, I know. for four it's of the six hours. It's a miracle. And that's, it still you know. costs too much. Last question. I ask about mistakes made. Would, give me one mistake you've made and if you've corrected it that you learned from and then one thing you did really well. What do you think you do really well? Yeah. I made the mistake early in my career of not hiring senior people fast enough. Ah. So I'm figuring out how to replace myself in mm-hmm. a job and – I got that feedback, and in a very strong way. And I never, from who? Is that the Cheryl? From the Cheryl. What did she do? Yeah. <laughs> I had gone to her. I had hired this person, and she said, "This person seems great, but they're not your replacement. So mm-hmm. what are you gonna do? Because mm-hmm. you're not gonna be able to move on and do anything else. Like, mm-hmm. You're not creating leverage for yourself. But this mm-hmm. is a great hire if you want to make that hire." Mm-hmm. And I just Ugh. walked out thinking I had the perfect candidate and right. I just was focusing on the wrong things. Right. And so... Cheryl the, knows from leverage, doesn't she? From leverage. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. And so the first thing I did at TaskRabbit and the best thing I did was mm-hmm. hire my VP of operations, who's now my COO, mm-hmm. two months after I joined the company. Okay. So they could so, replace you. So they could replace it's me. It's like having kids, right? That's right. <laughs> They're your replacements. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So you, you don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. No, you, you, just, I don't do that you just wait for someone to take over from mm-hmm. you. And then what's something you've done really well, do you think? Joining TaskRabbit and really deciding to take a risk. Big move from Google. A big they move They would have pulled Google. you right up the chain, right? Nobody thought that leaving Google was a good idea. Yeah. Not in a bad way, but just like, why would you leave the company that everybody wants to go work yeah. at? Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, I'm, my life is more fulfilled because I'm working on a problem mm-hmm. that's revolutionizing everyday work. And mm-hmm. I get to talk about job creation and how it affects me and people that I grew up with is so much more connected to who I am as a person. And mm-hmm. I love it. Right. All right. And do you are the sacrifices for your family. And we talk, you and I, when we talk, talk a lot about work, life balance and kids and things like that. Is it worth it? Because I work a lot, too. I think every day about when I get up in the morning, I'm leaving my two little girls you just had a little at home. Kid, right? I yeah. do. She's almost two. Oh, okay, she's two. She's not that yeah. young oh, anymore. She's, yeah. she's growing up. Yeah. But I think about when I, when I leave the house. You have to stop feeding them, really. That's you how do. you feed well, them and they get big. They, get the up, they learn how to open the refrigerator yeah, yeah. and feed themselves. Yeah, that's true. That's a good turning point yeah, right there. It is. That is a good turning point. <laughs> 
But yeah, I don't, every day I think about when I walk out the door, am I, I'm making a trade-off. I'm mm-hmm. making a choice. And is this the thing I want to be doing mm-hmm. right now? And it is. And I don't think about work-life balance because mm-hmm. for a while it's out of balance and for a while it's in balance. And so I just live in cycles mm-hmm. and I use TaskRabbit to outsource things that I can't <laughs> You get have done. to, right? You have to I have to. Eat the dog food. So um, and I'm just satisfied with not being perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's good for you. How does your mother feel about your decision making now? She's, she's happy. She yeah. did say to me, well, you know, if this TaskRabbit thing doesn't work <laughs> out, you can always go back to Google. Um, and so, but now the TaskRabbit has worked out. She's like, okay. <laughs> I wouldn't take job advice from your mother, okay? I don't do it myself. So. Anyway, Stacey, thank you so much. You're yeah. always delightful. And, uh, and congratulations on your job. I think, I know I called you a unicorn, but it's nice to see, uh, no matter thank how you, you slice it. And I, I wish for your success, your great success. I don't wish for everyone's success, trust me on that. <laughs> anyway, Stacey, thank you for coming by, and I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with Quip CEO Brett Taylor, Representative Nancy Pelosi, and another former Googler, Erica Baker, who's now at Slack, just to name a few. Those interviews and more are available at recode.net slash decode. Now that you're done with this, why not try one of our other podcasts? Recode Media with Peter Kafka comes out every Thursday. On Fridays, I host Too Embarrassed to Ask with Lauren Good of The Verge. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from our events like the Code Conference, Peter Kafka's Code Media, and Jason Del Rey's Code Commerce. Thanks for listening, and thanks to our sponsors, Casper, Oxford Road, and Qualcomm. Thanks also to Digital Media, which distributes the show. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. Remember to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then. <laughs>